You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Dusty. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer. Glad that you're here. Um, This is a really interesting passage that that we're going to be exploring today, this 2,000-year-old sermon that Jesus delivered uh, a little bit ago. And um, last week, there's a lot of therefores in this passage, including at the very beginning, where at the very start, it'll say, therefore, um, you know, don't be anxious about your life. And it goes into all of that. And it pulls from um, from what we talked about um, last week. If you're here, if you're newer, I can recap it really quick. And Jesus is talking about money and the impossibility of, of both loving him, loving God, and um, loving money, that they are uh, oppositional to each other on a, in terms of a, an ultimate sense of allegiance and trust. And uh, it's, it's interesting that that's the context of this passage today. And it may seem like almost a non sequitur, like, okay, I can appreciate like, greed and, and all of that. Um, like that's a topic. And then now we're talking about anxiety. But, but I think that they, they flow more naturally than you'd imagine, because think about what money does at the end of the day, is money is a hedge against future uncertainty certainty, right? Is that, well, I'm afraid of, I'm I'm worried that we're not going to be able to pay rent next month, or I'm worried that we may not be able to retire when we want, or I'm I'm worried about the kids' education, or I'm worried about, uh, nobody respects me like they should, and I'm not appreciated like I ought to be appreciated at this current job, and if I had more money, then people would appreciate me more, and on, on, and on. Like, so money, honestly, like it has a lot of salvation-level promises about an uncertain future, and uh, respect, and love, and independence, and I mean, all sorts of things. It's like nearly salvation caliber deal. So I think that's part of the reason why that Jesus says, all right, therefore, like pulling together conclusions, we're already talking about what you're going to trust, God or money, and where you're putting your hope to get the things that you feel like you need, that um, is that going to be trusting God or or trusting money? Let's even go a a layer deeper than that. And let's talk about that anxiety itself. Let's just deal, because you're dealing topically with some of that anxiety with money. That's one of the ways. It's not the only way. Let's just go all the way down to the root. And this shouldn't surprise us because Jesus has regularly been going to the deep places for the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to the heart. So he's going to push us on this vulnerable spot about our anxiety about uncertain futures. And there's so many different expressions of this. Um, you could be, um, you could be, let's say, going into the sixth grade and nervous about middle school. It's going to be different. I knew what elementary school, but now a few different elementary schools are going to this middle school. Am I going to fit in? Am I going to be at the cool table? Or I don't want to be at the cool table, but am I going to be at that table that I want to be at? You know, the dreaded lunchroom. And, um, or it could be, you know, a middle-aged person that's just wondering if they can kind of get over the hump with getting over the top on some of their debts and uh, planning for the future. Or it may not be financial at all. It may be like I'm single and, um, and I'm about to graduate college and, and um, I'm almost worried that if it doesn't happen right now, like it may not happen for a good bit or ever. And you're nervous about your, your dating status. Um, you're in a marriage that isn't trending in a real great direction right now. And you're wondering, is this what it's going to be like for the rest? Um, is this like, this is it? This is, this is what I'm dealing with. Right. And so like that, it could be, I mean, almost anything you're, you're retired and and you're, um, it's been great. Like you've worked really hard your whole life to get here. Um, or maybe you're right at the cusp of it, but now you're beginning to be concerned about you or maybe your spouse's health. And you see a few things there that just kind of, you, you, you worry about it. You worry about, wait, what happens if I can't do all the travel and all the things and be as active with my grandchildren as I wanted to be? I mean, so whether you are like eight or 80, 
or higher or lower than that. Like this is part of the human experience. All of us are, are going to be anxious about, about our future and like it's it just where it is that we tend to live. So this is a, there's a real opportunity here uh, in these moments to lean into God. Now, I do want to make one last quick statement as a way of uh, maybe like a little, uh, a little bit of an um, asterisk or something like that alongside of this that um, if we are talking about someone with like clinical grade anxiety, uh, like you need, you know, medicine, you need counseling, you need things like that, that, um, that, that one of the things that sometimes Christians and churches get wrong when we talk anxiety is that if you just trust Jesus, it'll make all of your anxiety go away. And there's a certain smaller number of us here that you could trust Jesus fully, completely, and deeply, and you still might feel kind of crummy. All right, and so for you, um, I would say that you, you probably do need to continue to explore the therapy. You need to continue to explore the medicine, but it doesn't get you off the hook from also trusting in Jesus, where all this is going to go. That you're going to want to do those things and trust Jesus. For most of you here, um, you, you may or may not need those other things, but you're going to deal with anxiety as part of your normal life. That we're going to need to trust Jesus. So um, let's go ahead and walk through the passage. All right, here you go. Verse 25, therefore, again, pulling from, are we going to trust God? Are we going to trust money? Um, and all of the, the anxiety that money can seem to solve. Uh, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, um, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Now, we're going to follow in just a second a case study on uh, birds and flowers, and he's going to address the, both the food and the clothing component via an illustration in a second. But I think it's important for us to spend just a minute on talking about what Jesus is not saying in this passage, because this has happened a bunch over the Sermon on the Mount and these three chapters, uh, you know, of Matthew 5 through 7, where Jesus is making a single point and um, we can miss it sometimes on over-applying what Jesus is getting at. And what I, I'll give you a specific, um, for instance, in this passage here, is that some of us can be, like some of us that kind of tend to live in the moment. In other words, like you don't really plan ahead very much, and you spend every last penny you've got every single month uh, down to nearly zero, and like you're stressfully watching your checking account on your app, going, oh, yeah, I can go get that Slurpee. Yeah, I can, I can squeeze that in. And, um, or like you have a round of tests that week, and you, um, and you every single time are cramming until the last minute and don't end up making very good grades because you stay up all night long studying and cramming and, and you're not really well prepared, that it can almost seem like Jesus is pushing back on planning, but that's not Jesus's point, that he's not actually making a point here that, um, that you're doing something wrong if you're making investments and planning financially for your future and trying to multiply cash or that you're planning for your children's education or um, that you're trying to service debt so that there's more flexibility in the future. He's not, he's not criticizing the student that knows that next week there's going to be three tests and a paper, so they go ahead and write the paper this week. So they're not ca- He's not criticizing planning at all. His point, in fact, I think elsewhere in the Bible, we could see that planning and preparation is actually um, lifted up, and good financial management and stewarding money so that it multiplies is actually wise and good. That's actually not Jesus' point. Jesus' point is more getting to the heart 
heart on, um, on what we're going to trust um, in, in this uncertain future. And he's, he's specifically dealing with, okay, we make our plans and we do the things that we can control and we make good preparations. But anyone that has made good preparations and has done planning and done investments and they've done the thing and they've, they've studied for the test knows I can control these things, but there's all sorts of things out here that I can't control. And life starts teaching you that pretty quick. Like that's what Jesus is getting at. And even maybe even more specifically that our, our tendency to live like a functional atheist, that's how we can live where, um, and it can have a couple of different responses where when we realize there's this uncertain future, I've got these things I can control, which he's not criticizing the planning and prep. Again, just want to make that clear. But, um, but that we can live like a functional atheist in one of two directions. We can either double down on nobody's going to stop me now, and I'm going, to, I'm going to make these things happen, and I'm going to double down my efforts, and nothing's going to stop me. I'm going to get there. I'm going to hit my goals. And, okay, well, maybe I can't. Oh, yeah, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to really do it now. Okay, I got diverted here. Well, I'm going to go over here. And where you feel like it's all on you and your mind has a hard time shutting off. You can't sleep at night because your mind's always running and you're constantly trying to figure out how to navigate it and how to make it work. And some of that's good, but some of it is completely wearing you out. That's one way it can go where you feel like it's all on me. That's exactly how an atheist would look at it, right? Uh, that, uh, that this is all on me. I've got to make it happen. The other way you can go is kind of off in a quarter with your bankie and you know that kind of thing. Like, I don't even know. Uh, I can't deal with this. And so I'm not even, you know, that kind of thing. That might be the way that we, that we respond to that, kind of the fight or flight uh, mechanism that, that we have wired in us. And so trusting in God is the issue here, not like planning and preparation or anything else. It's like, what are we going to trust when we know that the future is uncertain and the, you're worried about that sixth grade lunchroom and you're worried about um, your grandkid and you're worried about your health and you're worried about your spouse and you're worried about your singleness, you're worried, whatever it is you're worried about that. What are we going to trust? And yeah, make your plans and do your stuff and uh, go on a date and do all those things. But then what are we going to trust? All right. So now the case studies um, come up and he's going to talk about that. Um, whether you're going to be anxious, don't be anxious in our life about what you're going to eat, um, your clothing. He's actually going to give a couple of illustrations, kind of case studies. So look at the birds there. Verse 26, uh, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the, gr- the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? That's, the faith is the issue here. Again, what are we trusting? Uh, therefore, again, here's another building on, on all of this. Therefore, don't be anxious because God takes care of the birds and he takes care of the flowers. Uh, don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Uh, for the Gentiles seek after all of these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. So Gentiles are non-Jewish people. And the reason Jesus says this at this time, is this is very early on in his ministry. And it would have been an, a pretty much exclusively Jewish crowd that would hear this, that what they would have thought of, the way they would have framed it is a Jewish, kind of a Jewish rabbi, a Jewish teacher. And, um, and he's saying, look, think of your non-believing people that you know around you. And, um, and think about what they value and like that they, they're freaked out. Like they are either doubling down their efforts and they're freaked out about the future and they are going to work and their mind doesn't 
ever stop and they're they're constantly worrying about how they're going to protect what they've got how they're going to um how they think relationships are going to work out about their clothes about what they've got about um their investment they're, they're going to do that or they're going to kind of go in the corner and you know that deal um one of those two things and uh, like that's what everybody does around you like that there's nothing distinct about that should there be something distinct about god's people while we think about an uncertain future that's not just living like a functional atheist like it all hinges on you, either fight or flight, um, on, on that moment. And he's pushing us here. So if we were to explore these two illustrations, kind of these case studies, that on, on the birds, that um, Jesus, again, is not endorsing. And I think even this illustration proves that Jesus is not endorsing a passive approach to life where you don't plan and you just kind of say, well, I can't control the future, so why even try? So I'm just going to spend all my money and kind of do whatever I want, and maybe I'll quit my job and all that. He uses birds as an illustration. And think about birds. Uh, birds don't point their beaks to heaven, you know, and just kind of wait for seed and worms just to drop in there. And maybe it'll rain and I, yeah, that kind of thing. Is Birds, like, watch them. Like, they are just con- they've got incredible eyesight, and they are constantly just scanning the horizon all the time. Like, they're never not looking for food all the time. And um, they've got young, and those young, about every couple hours, they're going to start chirping for more food, and they need to eat, and they're going to go back out, and they're just going to be looking. And, oh, there's something, and, oh, I can go get that. So they're, they're working, in other words. So that's why Jesus, even in the illustration, is not, uh, is not um, pushing back on hard work, planning, preparation, all that. But his point is, is that birds generally don't have extensive 401ks of, uh, you know, nuts, seed, worms, you know, in a storehouse somewhere. That's not how it works. And what they're doing is they're constantly there, and they're constantly working. They're working hard, and yet somehow God provides for them through ways that they could never understand through rain and these other animals and even waste of other animals and everything else that, that it, it creates this ecosystem that provides for their food, like God provides, and they have just enough to be able to make it. And that's, that's really the point here is, um, is that, hey, look, don't, don't worry. Make your plans, yes. Work hard, yes. Don't withdraw in a corner, but also don't think that it all depends on you. Know that God is going to take care of you. And do you have enough years on this? Do you have enough data to show that he's done this for you over and over and over up till now? That materially speaking, have you ever had a time where you just weren't able to find a way forward, even no matter how bleak it looked like, did God take care of you? Did you have food? Did you have shelter? Now, you may not have had a luxury home. You may not have had things that you kind of wish that you would have had, but did God give you the basic things that you actually needed? When you prayed, Lord, would you give me this day, Father, my daily bread, did he give you your daily bread? And um, um, that's kind of the whole point. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour of his span of life in verse 27. And I even think that verse even gives us a little bit of a push on that. I think a lot of times whenever we're anxious is that it's almost like a a protection against some things that might hurt us in the future. Like um, it almost gives us like an illusion of control. If I stay up all night and don't sleep tonight worrying about, um, you know, my kid not doing well or um, those kids at that lunchroom or my kidney and is that going to be okay or whatever, whatever those things are for you, right? Um, Is this marriage going to get better? If I worry about that tonight, 
like. It means I can't be disappointed or hurt later when those things don't improve. Um, and if I worry about it enough, maybe, maybe those bad things won't even happen. It almost makes it feel like you're in control of that future when you sit around and worry about it. But he's like, man, this is what Jesus is getting at. Who, who by being anxious can even add a, a minute, an hour to your life? Like being anxious certainly won't extend your life. Now, I think medically we could say being anxious probably will actually shorten your life. And Jesus is trying to um, step into this space to help. The second case study that Jesus gives here are the flowers. And I, I think that it's probably unlikely. I mean, there, there might be some people that legitimately had one, you know, one robe on or something like that um, that were there listening to Jesus teach and one set of Birkenstocks or whatever the case would be. And um, they're sitting there listening to Jesus teach and maybe they're like, man, this one's getting kind of ratty. I don't even know if I'm going to have another one. And um, there, there may be a handful of people. But similar to our day, I don't know that when Jesus is talking about being concerned about clothes, that it's legitimately like, I don't know if I've got a coat for winter, um, but more of like, I hate all my wardrobe. And, um, and that, that lady over there, that is a really stylish robe and the little sash she's got and the sandals and, the, and she's got a petty and all that stuff and it looks really nice, all that, that, uh, that we, we can obsess about our style and obsess about our clothes uh, to a point that's just unhealthy, and and even uh, and even uh, spending a lot of time thinking about um, even while we've got a closet full of clothes, looking and saying I hate everything and I hate all of it. That uh, that there's something there, like a, just a general discontent and, and worrying about: um, Am I going to have the clothes that I want? And even in regards to style, and again, Jesus is not criticizing looking like you live in the current year that you you actually exist in. There's nothing more holy about looking like you're dressed in 1958 or 1988 or 2008. There's nothing inherently holy about being out of style, all right? Uh, but there's also something that, um, that, that there's a lot of us that are like obsessed with it and projecting the right image, wearing the right clothes, by extension, having the right house, right neighborhood, right car. And, um, and again, he's, when he says, hey, look at, the cl- look at the flowers and they're beautiful and um, God clothes them beautifully and he will take care of you and give you what you need as well is there's just a subtle pushback here on, um, on our obsession with style and image. And some of it's fine, uh, but some of it can be a little bit weird and out of balance too. And, and again, Jesus is saying, let's, uh, let's bring it back to the present, the present moment and acknowledge that God will give you what you need and it's going to be okay. And you're more than your style. You're more than your image projection. You're more than your online presence and that God cares for you. He sees you and you matter to God. If he takes care of flowers and makes them beautiful and gives them what they need. And if he takes care of birds, then he'll give you what you need as well. And then that zinger at the end for the Gentiles seek after all of these things in verse 32 and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. It's just a nice summary of all of it saying the non-believing world is chasing after clothes and cars and status and prestige and storing up enough things and a road to nowhere. And we're going to accumulate a lot of things. And I made fun of this last week. We're going to get, and this is why money is tied up in this conversation. We're going to work really hard. We're going to win at life. We're going to save thousands or even millions or more. Who knows? what, uh, depending on how big and bad you are. And then your good for nothing kids or grandkids are going to go buy beer and TVs and it's all going to end up on Facebook marketplace. And like, that's where all this is going. And, and we could be churning and we're trying to save and we're trying to do it and we're trying to do it. And maybe that'll make life okay. And, um, he's saying, Hey, look, your heavenly father knows what you need. 
And so again, it doesn't mean we don't plan. doesn't mean we don't work hard. But can you imagine how this might shift the whole conversation to know that God sees you and he actually knows what you need and he's eager to provide. And it all doesn't depend on you. You don't have to live like a practical atheist. Um, you believe in God. You believe in the resurrected Christ and knowing that he's with you and he cares. And verse 33 builds on all of this. But, so this is in contrast. So in contrast about anxiety, worrying about an uncertain future, what you wear, what you drive, what you do. He says, but seek first, verse 33, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. So seek first God and his kingdom. And John Stott, I think, says this really well. And um, and I really like this a lot. He says, there's only two kinds of ambition. So this is talking about ambition and what you want and what fuels you is what ambition really is. Um, One um, can be... um, for us, we can be either ambitious for ourselves, or we can be ambitious for God. Like those are your two options. And ambition, it's something all of us have ambition, and it may play out in different ways for all of us, and surely does. Uh, but we're going to be ambitious for God, or we're going to be ambitious for his kingdom. We're going to trust ourselves, live like a functional atheist, or we're going to trust God. Um, while we work and do all so many of the same things, we're going to work hard, we're going to plan, uh, we're going to wear clothes like we belong to 2023. We're going to do all the same things that a lot of people do, but internally, how we're dealing with the future and the same things that everybody deals with, if you're a human being, um, we, um, we are, um, it seems like it's a small nuance, but this is kind of Stott's point. We are either um, we are either concerned about God and His kingdom, and we're ambitious for Him, and we we love Him first, and we trust Him most while we do all those things, or we're going to be ambitious to build our own kingdom. And it really comes down to that. Individuals can do it, churches can do it, businesses can do it. Which kingdom are we building? It's a really um, simple and interesting question. So, to maybe pull some of that together, consider you've got two people. So imagine two people that are both out of work. For whatever reason, doesn't matter if they're fired, if they quit, if they're moving towns, whatever. But you're out of work, you're looking for a job. And they would feel the same exact fears, same fears. Uh, they both would wonder, like, what am I supposed to do with my life now? Like, what even am I? Like, they probably both developed a certain amount of identity from their job. And now when people say, what do you do? They're like, what do I do? I don't know, you know? And they both would feel like some pressure, like afraid of even who I am. I maybe both feel an identity crisis. They both would be a little afraid that they've got, um, they've got bills to pay and they've got a family to provide for. And they've tightened their belt, both of them, um, a little bit. And they've kind of cinched up some expenses and they've maybe pulled some from some reserve rainy day monies to kind of get through this period, but they're worried. They're seeing that, that money drain down. They're both worried about it. And um, they also are, um, are kind of worried about, um, they're really stressed out, even the interviewing process and talking to people, the rejection. They, they both fear picking up the phone and calling another company or sending a message out or getting on LinkedIn or whatever it is they're going to do. And so they, they would all have the same exact fears. They would even be doing the same exact things, tightening the belt and moving money around and interviewing and calling people. They would be doing all the same things. But one of these two people, um, while they're afraid, they're 
actively and directly taking, taking these fears to God. And they're acknowledging these fears and they're taking these points of anxiety directly to God and knowing that they don't have to carry them by themselves. It's not just up to them to go uh, shake the bushes and go find, uh, find the right job and, or to go over in the corner and hope it's all going to work out and pretend like it's not really happening. Rather, they can do a lot of the same things this other person's doing, but instead of that person feel like it's all on them, they can actually close their eyes at night, go to sleep knowing that they've got a God that's sovereign over all and he's feed, he's fed the birds, he's clothed the flowers. And if he would take care of all of creation that way, then he will take care of me in the future. So I can do what I can do, but now I can just go to sleep and I can take a nap and I can turn in that application and I can entrust the results to the Lord. I can entrust my future to the Lord. And that's where he's going. We're going to either seek our kingdom or we're going to seek first the kingdom of heaven. That's what Stott was getting at. We're going to be ambitious for our own kingdom. We're going to be ambitious for God. Verse 34 is the last verse of this passage. And um, this, this verse right here has been the one, I mean, I wrote this sermon probably five, six weeks ago. I had a little bit of time and I wrote it and I, I came back to it over the last couple of weeks. And this verse right here is the thing that's probably helped me more than any other in this whole passage, dealing with anxious, anxiousness about an uncertain future. So here it is. Therefore, again, like these cascading therefores, like building on these thoughts, like we're trusting God. We're not, we're not functional atheists here. We're, we're people that believe in God and he takes care of us. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Uh, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It almost sounds like Yoda or something like that. You're like, that's a good saying though. And Jesus has a lot of these zingers that you're like, I need to go think about that. That's like really deep. And Jesus, this is a really interesting verse. This one right here has come up to me, um, come up a lot. And it can be a lot of different things in this room, you know. Um, it could be some of you already starting to look at your fall schedule. I've talked to a few of you even this morning. They're like, yeah, it's, good. it's been a fun summer. Been at the lake, been having fun. It's about to get real. And like your, your heart rate's already starting to elevate when you look at all the stuff in front of you, right? You feel that. Um, you're, you're anxious about September and it's July, Okay. Um, it could be, um, you're, you're single and you're like, man, if I get out of college and I don't have somebody kind of on the hook, you know, um, then what now, what do I do? And, um, it's, um, you, you've got a little one at home and you're like, man, I don't actually think we're like, well, what happens if we still aren't potty trained in October? Like, what, what are we going to do? You know, seriously, I could tell you some funny stories on that, but I'm going to probably wouldn't be appropriate in this circle, but, um, right here, just come grab me later and I'll tell you some funny potty training stories from yesteryear for us. Um, you can, you can worry about all these things in the future and it actually adds anxiety. I would make a case actually hurts your performance even now. Let me give you an athletic illustration on this. So, um, I recently retired from youth sports coaching. Uh, 17 years of uh, coaching one of my two sons in baseball and saw that all the way through. And uh, I've had um, the ability to watch youth athletes, even, you know, as they age and walking with them, you know, into varsity athletics, many of whom even go on to play college athletics and all that. And um, here's what happens. Baseball is an incredibly mental sport. And what will happen is, is you, um, you know, let's say you're, you've been in, a, been in a bad way and you've had a r- rough few games and you can translate, let the hearer understand, translate this into the rest of your life. All right. Um, and you, you had, uh, you had a rough tournament last weekend. And so you show up to this next tournament and this next game, whatever it is. And you think, if I don't get my act together, coach is going to, um, he's going to move me down the order. You know, I, I gotta, I gotta figure this thing out. 
all right? Um, or it's, I'm going to be out of the lineup. Or even you start racing. If I can't hit right now in 14U, I'm probably not even going to make a freshman team. In fact, if I, or you could be on the freshman team. You're like, man, if I don't hit now, I'm not going to make a JV next year. You're on the JV. I'm not going to play on the varsity team if I don't start hitting or making my pitches now. Or you're on the varsity team, and you're thinking, my career is going to be over. I'm going to move out of the lineup, and I'm certainly not going to play at the next level if I, if, I don't, if I don't hit. And so you come with all this baggage into the batter's box right now, all about tomorrow, all about next spring, and then um, pitch one right down the middle, you watch. And you're like, oh, here we are again. I'm going to be out of the lineup next week. I'm going to be out of the lineup. I'm going to, I'm going to move down. I'm, going to, I'm not going to make a freshman team. I'm not going to, and you start running. And then second pitch, you chase out of the strike zone. Now you're down 0-2. I'm thinking about next spring, three years from now, the last pitch, the pitch is two pitches ago, last tournament, the next tournament, everything in the world other than pitch number three, all right? This is what Jesus is saying, and this means that everything in your life is spiritual. Everything. The at-bat, your big presentation this Thursday at the office, um, the potty training with your children, the retirement, um, the thought about your grown children, your marriage, your singleness, your retirement, your health— Everything is spiritual is what Jesus is getting at. And what he's saying is, do do we think that we can add even a second to our life by worrying about it? And tomorrow is going to be anxious for itself. So let's focus on, and, and yesterday's in the books. What happened, happened. So now we've got this pitch right now. We've got our children at this life stage right now. You've got your life with your job, with your people, with your friends. And God is saying, enter into this at this moment and don't live like an atheist, but trust me, offload your concerns directly to me. This is why I'm here. You can trust me with your future. You can trust me with your present. You can trust me with your past. And we know all of these things are true because Jesus has been crucified. He's been resurrected. He reigns over all And that means he's got control over all and he's good and he loves you and he sees you. Like this is an incredible combination. We have a powerful God who's simultaneously loving. I mean, how much better does it get than that? Now we can focus on this pitch or whatever this pitch is for you. I'm going to conclude by reading a couple of verses from Philippians 4. Different biblical author inspired by the same Holy Spirit, Paul says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything... By prayer and supplication. So Paul tells us even specifically what to do with what Jesus is saying here. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here it is simply. We combat our anxiety about an uncertain future no matter whether that's what team you're going to play on or if your marriage is going to be okay or anything else that I haven't mentioned, anything, anything that you're worried about. We combat that anxiety with faith in God because Christ is alive and with trust in God. And we go directly to him in prayer. That's what we do. Like you don't have to do anything else. You can just stop. And here's the thing. This is going to be a lot like our conversations a few weeks ago about like lust and anger. Like right now, you may be like, you know what? I'm trusting God with this. Similar to lust, you're like, I ain't lusting about nothing right now. It's church, all right? I ain't, uh, I'm, not, I'm not greedy right now. I'm not angry right now. Okay, well, probably driving out of the parking lot, those anxiety points are going to return, and we're going to offload those things again. Just go directly to him. When you feel anxious, just start 
lifting these things to the Father who cares for you. And that's what we're going to do right now. So I want you just in your, in your mind to get, maybe get that point of anxiety. Um, maybe your mind's already drifted off to it during the sermon that you're worried about. Do you have that in your mind, something that you're worried about? It could be an immediate thing or it could be something down the road. Why don't you take that thing directly to a loving Father who cares for you? Why don't you pray? Just take that directly to him. Don't be anxious about anything, but by everything, by prayer and supplication, let your request be made known to God. Father, hear our prayers. Here's what we're worried about. And we lift these things to you. Maybe someone that doesn't even know you, really, it's very distant to them, this whole religion, God thing, that you would draw near to them. You would remind them of what's true, that you would, um, the power of Jesus's cross and resurrection would awaken their souls and that for the first time they would trust you. And so, Lord, we, we do, we all, we're anxious people. Lord, help us to trust you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.